Erin. Let's go. Let's go to. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where we're going either. I know that uh, it's 1933. And perhaps New York City. I think it's. I think it's New York City. It's. It's got to be New York City because yeah. it's got to be a place where there's a, a seaport. They and don't where, have, where, where there's theater, a theater district. Yeah, and they don't have Boston accents, so that takes out Boston. They don't have Southern accents, so that takes out New Orleans and the Southern ports. I believe it's New York City. Okay, we're going to go with that. Yes. And the, the movie this week is... Dinner, Dinner at, at eight. eight. And Aaron's going to give us the particulars. Ahem. <clears throat> Dinner at Eight, 1933. Directed by George Cukor. He also directed uh, Gaslight, My Fair Lady, Born Yesterday, The Philadelphia Story. And he was also replaced as director on Gone with the Wind. Uh-huh. He was, he was too nice to people. It was produced by David O. Selznick, who also produced Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Screenplay is by three people. Uh, Frances Marion. She was a journalist, an author, a film director, and a screenwriter, and often cited as one of the first renowned female screenwriters of the 20th century, along with Jane Mathis and Anita Luce. Well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz. You might know him from this other movie that he wrote uh, called Citizen Kane. Oh. Um, and I then Orson Welles wrote Citizen Kane. Well, he, he Orson Welles directed it. I don't know. Oh, this is what okay. Wikipedia is okay. saying. Okay. Going on. Moving on. Um, Pride of the Yankees. And another little movie called uh, The Wizard of Oz. That's not our only Wizard of Oz tie-in for this uh-huh. movie. Additional dialogue was was by Donald Ogden Stewart, who may sound familiar because he wrote the Philadelphia Story, which we already which we did. have already done. Yes, it's based on the play Dinner at Eight by George S. Kaufman and Edna Farber. Now this is a. It's a, this movie has a big cast, so here we go. Starring Marie Dressler as Carlotta Vance. Yeah, she was a piece of work. She. This is that. I'm just going. I'm just going to talk about the actresses, and we'll do the characters later. Okay. So Carlotta Vance. I'll just say what she was as the just like a name. Like she's the older actress lady. Older is a kind word. Well, we'll get into that later. Okay. okay I, I okay. did some research. You're, I think you're going to feel a little bad. Uh, <laughs> 19... <laughs> well, then it's a success. <laughs> 19... Well, I know that I felt a little bad. So don't don't you feel bad now. Because I oh, definitely... I know. I know. was like, man. I know about her imminent death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because I was like, oh, that explains it. Um, 1931, she won Best Actress for another movie called, uh, I think it was Mina and Bill. She was a huge box office star. She was most notable for her comedies. I, I guess I haven't, I didn't read a whole lot about her. 
you know, very half-assed internet lookup research thing that I did while waiting for my clothes at the laundromat. But based on that, I would say that she's like, she would be like the equivalent of Melissa McCarthy now. Oh, okay. Like known for comedies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But but like huge star. Um, let's see. Lionel Barrymore. He plays Oliver Jordan, who is the businessman in this. And you will know him as Mr. Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. And he was Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. And he's part of the renowned acting family known as Barrymore. Barbara Billy Burke, she played Millicent. Yeah. Millicent. Millicent. That name is not regained in popularity, has it? It probably will. Well, Millicent Jordan. She's Oliver Jordan's wife. You'll know her. Because I was like, why does she seem so familiar to me? What's with her oh, voice? Yeah, yeah. Okay, save that for a minute. Okay. Madge Evans plays Paula Polly Jordan. She's the 19-year-old daughter. Um, Wallace Beery, he plays Dan Packard. He's uh, kind of a dubious dubious fellow businessman and mining magnet. He was also in Mill and Bill, Wild, or Treasure Island, and Viva Vila. And when Gene Harlow... She plays his wife, Kitty, Dan Packard's wife, Kitty Packard. She was in Hell's Angels, Red Dust, Red-Headed Woman, Reckless. I mean, Jean Harlow was a huge, huge star. Yes. Like, if you don't know any of the names of the other people in this movie, you're, you'll know, ah, Jean Harlow, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard of her. And then John Barrymore, he's played Larry Renault, who was um, a... He was a... He used to be a silent screen actor, and now he's down on his luck and can't get a job. And he was in, John Barrymore was in Grand Hotel, Midnight, Sherlock Holmes, among other things. And again, he's also part of the family acting tree that is Barrymore. Barrymore. (laughs) And Um, the grandfather of? Oh, he yes, he was the grandfather of one Drew Drew Barrymore. I just feel like there should have been a soap opera called The Barry Malls. Yeah. Um, and Lee Tracy, he played Max Kane. He was the agent. He was a Renault agent. He was in The Lemon Drop Kid and The Best Man. And Edmund Lowe played Dr. Wayne Talbot. Um, and he was also in What Price Glory. And he was, well, I'll get, I'll get to that later. Okay. So those are the particulars. It has a very large cast. Yeah, I had no idea. It was going to be that varied. Yes. Well, it is an MGM movie. And it starts out with, um, there's a dinner place setting with the silverware and a dinner plate. And each of the characters is introduced uh, in the credits with their face in the middle of the dinner plate. Right, because at the time of this film, this was like like when Ocean's Eleven came out. 
I mean, these these this is one of like blockbuster all star cast. Oh, it, you know, yeah, because you wouldn't think that Gene Harlow would have um, a smaller part. Yeah, because it's it's this Marie Dressler. You're like, what? Marie Dressler's in a movie with Lionel Barrymore, Billy Burke, Madge Evans, Wallace Beery, and John Barrymore? Are you kidding me? And that's yeah. what the people said in 1933. Exactly. Minds were blown. They all can't be in a movie. And also, this was a movie that came after another movie that I'm sure we're going to eventually do, which was the same kind of thing called Grand Hotel, where they get the biggest actors, the studio gets the biggest actors that they have under their contract, and they throw them in a film together. Yeah. It's a black and white movie, obviously, in 1933. <clears throat> and then it starts with double doors opening. And a woman saying, darling, I got Lord and Lady Ferncliffe to come to dinner. That's Millicent Jordan. And Oliver Jordan, her husband, doesn't really care. Yeah. He'd, he'd rather not have a big dinner. But um, Millicent is social climbing. And so she, it's a big deal to have Lord and Lady Ferncliff come to dinner. Dinner is going to be Friday night. Now, Ma, I have a question. I can answer it. You watched Downton Abbey, right? I watched Downton Abbey. When does that take place? Well, it starts out before World War One. Oh, okay. So this is kind of the the Downton Abbey kind of times where like dinners and stuff were a thing. Yes, and, you and full dress. Full dress. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, this is kind of like, um, I guess. Like, to put it in these terms, like, on reality TV, when people throw parties and stuff, and, and how the, the socialites, like, the real housewives, to try to outdo everyone. Yes, yes, as, as far as that goes. But, but it's, uh, I mean, so much on a lower rung of the ladder. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, everything ramps up, so this is the beginning of that ladder. This is, this is that ladder 1933 edition. Yeah, but I'm saying these are people already of stature, but <clears throat> they want to social climb even higher. Ah. So they, uh, the housewives are, are farther down because they don't have like, like this would be like having uh, Charles and Diana to your dinner party. Ah, uh, yes, because William. the Lord Verncleft, they are from the richest family in England. Yeah. So that's... That's a big, yeah, you're like, oh my God, Meghan Markle is coming to dinner. What? Yes. Are you kidding me? And I'm going to have collard greens for her. That's bold, Ma. That is a bold (laughs) move right there. I believe Harry would eat them. I know Harry would. I'm sure that would be fantastic. I'm just saying that, like, that's going bold. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So then Carlotta comes in. Yes, Carlotta Vance. Go ahead. Explain Carlotta. Carlotta Vance is a woman of huge proportion, both physically 
and um, personality wise. And I don't mean like she's like huge and obese or anything. I'm just saying she's she's a full bodied woman. And she has a big personality and she knows it in this role. And she Carlotta, her backstory, she and Oliver go back. They were I believe they were from like Indiana or something. And they Carlotta went off and she became a huge star. I think inside it was yeah, silent pictures. Yeah. And now she's gotten older. And my favorite line of the movie is um, she doesn't go out because also. So she got married a bunch of times. She did really well for herself marrying rich men. And she was she's been able to amass a small fortune. But now because she has to keep up with the Joneses, you know, once you're rich, you got to keep up with other rich people. And it's 1933. So. You know, times are tough, even for rich people. And she's not making as much money as she used to. And so um, when she goes to visit Oliver, he suggests, well, you can get back into acting. And she says, no, these double chins will only be seen in private. I know. I love that. I was like, that's funny. So she's she's just big, boastful. I would say she is an elegant broad because she had the she had the broad like the scrap and the hustle. Like she's a poor girl, but she has learned to fully step into the, the play the role of the rich woman. But she can get down in the dirt with you. She can. She can take her shoes off and rub her big toes. Yeah. Because she's old enough and she's real enough. That's right. And then Paula, the daughter, comes out. And um, the father comes out because Millicent has opened the door. No, 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 no. Their maid has opened the door. Um, the POC count is zero. No. Nope, ma. There what? is one. The what's his name? Um, Wallace Barry's Dan Packard. Dan Packard's guy, I believe his name is Oscar. When he comes in to, to meet his wife, Jean Harlow, in that scene later, he's because ta- he has to go to Washington. He's taking off all his jacket and everything, and he hands it to his man, who's a black guy. That's I the missed only. That. That's the only person of color ever seen. You barely even see him. And I wondered if that was a th- like also an indication at the of the times that these guys because Dan Packard and his wife Millie they're um, like they obviously came up on the wrong side of the tracks as well so they're yeah, kind of they're looked new upon money. yeah they're looked upon as as yeah definitely new money and so I wonder if that was also a thing of like oh you're so new money that your help is non-white but i don't know i didn't do any research on that anyway yeah there was just one black guy that we briefly see in this and there's never any other mention of anybody or any other different kinds of people at all this is this is this is a white 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 world yeah, in the black and white movie, there's a lot of white. 
Okay, well, it's it comes out that father owns a shipping business that was owned by his father and his grandfather. And the mother is saying that she wants Paula, the daughter, and Ernest, her fiancé, to come to dinner Friday night. Carlotta is already invited. And then the mother is saying to Paula, we must go shopping this afternoon for your trousseau. Do you know what a trousseau is? I don't. Well, you would get married in your wedding dress, of course. And then you needed an entire new wardrobe called a trousseau for your honeymoon. You couldn't wear anything old. So it was like lingerie? Oh, uh, everything. Everything was new. All, all the new outfits. Everything you know, and, and you needed new? several outfits a day. Like so, once she got married, she had to go up to her closet and toss everything out. No, no. But rich people would have a trousseau, which is a whole new wardrobe to start her whole new life, and she'd keep her old stuff when she came back from the honeymoon and intermix and such. But yeah, she, you know, and and she'd have the, a big steamer truck trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I like how rich is she? Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, and and uh, Paula is not at all interested in going shopping for her trousseau. Yeah, Paula looks a little preoccupied. Yeah, Paula was like, I, I'm not. I don't really want to talk about this engagement. You you already knew there was a problem there, and she says she can't go uh, shopping because she has a concert to go to. And then it's, well, well, who are you going to the concert with? And I think at that point we cut to uh, Mr. Oliver Jordan's office. Ah, yes. Now, in her office, there in his office, there is a woman secretary. And I know I've seen her before. Oh. In old movies. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't, she, she reminded me of my Aunt Margie because she had, um, long hair that was braided and, and wrapped around her head. And um, she was she was no spring chicken in that office. And um, Mr. Castilian is, the, no, the boat, the Castilian can't sail tomorrow as it was supposed to. And it's obvious that the Jordan uh, shipping line is in some financial trouble. Yes. And it's been in the family for like three decades or something. Well, generations. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the man who works for them, who's been in other movies as well, but I don't know, says no Jordan boat has missed a sale in 60 years. Well, everything must come to an end. And then Mr. Jordan is going, there's somebody out there trying to buy up our stock. Which is odd because it was just a small group of people who own stock in the Jordan line. So they have no idea who's trying to buy up all the stock. Mm -hmm. And then we hear that Mr. Packet is com Packard is coming in that afternoon. Well, I think Oliver asked him over. Oh, okay. So we haven't seen him yet. Right. Um, well, Carlotta comes in. Ah, uh, this is when Carlotta comes in. She comes into the office. Mm -hmm. She has already been to the home and she comes into the office. 
And, oh, they are so thrilled to see each other. It's like maybe they had a love affair back Well, then. they did. They were, oh, you're talking, going through the movie chronologically? Yes. Sorry. Spoiled. Okay, as we learned from Dolly Parton, not all, not movies are not shot in chronological order, although this one tried to stick to that as much as possible. Well, this is very much, a, you can tell this is a play. Yeah, it had been a, a play. Okay, so she is saying um, that she, she needs to mend her shattered fortune. And she came um, to New York to see the U.S. Customs Inspector because why shouldn't she own six fur coats? It, so she has tons of jewels on mm-hmm. and she has her fur coats, but I don't think she's real liquid in her cash flow. Well, you're going to talk about fur coats because I'm used to, you know, the Aretha Franklin fur coats where it's just the fur. The Her fur coat is literally, what are they, foxes? They're pelts, yeah. All the fox pelts sewn together. Where you have the tail and the head still on. Yeah, I thought it was a little disgusting, and I thought it. I was like, this seems very poor and trashy to me. Like, it looks very uh, coal minery. Like, no offense, it seemed, it reeked of West Virginia to me. But they did that. They they had. I remember uh, we had um, my parents had friends who had money, and um, the head of the mink because she had a mink stole, which is what would go around your shoulders, and it was the whole pelt of the mink, and then the head had like the hook on it where you would hook it to another part that so it would stay around your shoulders. Yeah, it was gross. I'm just saying, but it, that's what yeah. the, that's what was done. But these were like, I, how many pet Like fifteen. Like, oh yeah, because they were just together. hanging down. They're just hanging down. I was just like, oh, and they. On one hand, like yes, they're animals, but then they also look like those <laughs> the dog toys, also together. Yeah, like when, those fox dog toys we buy the the boys. Yeah, when they and they take out all the stuffing and everything and, and the squeakers. Yeah, yeah, and they're just like all chewed up and they're on the ground. It just looked like a whole bunch of those. Sewn it does together. look like a, a coat that Dolly Parton's mama would have sewed for her, I, sewing the pelts together. Yeah, I was just like, oh man, ugh. So she's broke. She says she's as flat as a, and I didn't get it. All of her money is in railroads, cotton, and oil, and we know where that is, she says, at this time. Well, I'm going, well, the oil is going to be good soon. Hold on to the oil. (laughs) And I'm like, cotton? All right. You have, you made your money off black people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so Mr. Jordan is saying, well, you're an international star. You could return to the stage. And that's when she said, uh about her double chins, mm-hmm. which was great because she had on a lot of eye makeup, which is, um, you know, her face has fallen. She does have double chins and that much eye makeup on skin that has oh, no collagen she, anymore is got, not a pretty picture. She, and she's got she's traveling with a lot of baggage under her eyes. 
A lot of baggage. A lot of luggage. She didn't drop off the luggage at the hotel when she came to visit Oliver. It stayed (laughs) right under her eyes. She wishes she could drop off that luggage, but it's permanently attached. Yeah. So he's saying, you know, get rid of some of your uh, European stuff. You own a lot of European stuff. And that's actually a pretty sound investment in 1933. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Little little did they know. And she said, I belong to the Delmonico period. I guess that was when, I don't know. That's an old-timey reference. We should have looked it up, but we didn't. You can We probably should have. But um, it it just meant she, she had money in... Probably things that property, and it, as Aaron said, it's going to go south. Anyway, at this point, Mr. Eaton, oh, the secretary comes in and says, Mr. Oh, do excuse me, listeners. I didn't mean to belch in your ears. I need to hear it. Mama. <laughs> uh, Mr. Eaton is outside, and then the secretary, who is older than dirt, is gushing at Carlotta. Oh, this was so funny. I loved seeing you when I was a little girl. (laughs) And this woman is like, it's not like one of those young girls saying that to you. Like, she looked old. She looks like she's in her 60s. Yeah. (laughs) But Carlotta's um, physical comedy is funny. Her eye rolling. and Uh, uh, Because she's like, that is like, she looks at the woman and judges her of like, my God. This bitch is old and she's telling me that she she has the nerve to stand up and tell like, did she look at herself in the mirror and realize how old she looks? And then she's going to come to me and like as a compliment, say that she saw me, me when she was a little girl. So, oh, Carl, and she's smoking this cigarette and she is not happy because she's she is not happy. Well, Carlotta is then talking to Mr. Jordan about selling her Jordan stock. She um, she bought it for $61,240 at the time. And she says she'll sell it back to him for the same price. And she knows and, that exact price because that was the first stock that she bought herself. And he's saying there are only six or seven people who own that stock. And uh, he goes, it's difficult right now. You know, I'm very, and she goes, you know, I'm very fond of you. And he goes, you know, I was in love with you. And she goes, I was rather gorgeous, wasn't I? And he remembers the date that um, she was 21. And no, he was just 21. She was a little older than he was. And he asked her to marry him. And he was like, yeah, I know that you you just made fun of me because... And she said, no, you know what? I was honestly touched that that you um, thought, you know, that you asked me to marry you. At this point, Dan Packard comes in. He's a miner, and he is... Well, he's not very, a miner. He owns a bunch of mining. He owns things. a bunch of mines. And he was in the mines in the beginning, and he's very rough around the edges. Yeah, he's very... He comes across as very New York-y. So, um... Then Mr. Jordan says to Carlotta, we'll be uh, dining with you Friday night, and she's staying at the Hotel Versailles. Okay, um, Mr. Packard can only stay a moment. You know, he doesn't really care to be here, this 
talking to Mr. Jordan. He's got other fish to fry. Mm -hmm. And they're there to talk about the Jordan line. And it's a depression. And maybe you and your associates could tide over the Jordan line. And Mr. Packard says, looks like your business has gone to seed. And not much has gone into this. Uh, you don't have much to offer me. Because mm -hmm. basically Jordan has come has brought in this guy Packard because he's one of the six people that own stock. And he says, look, um, we're kind of going through a little bit of a rough patch. Do you think you and your associates could kind of tide us over with some money and stuff for the time being? And Packard looks around and he's like, oh, you need like you need money and stuff. And he's like, well, I don't want to like tell you how to run your business. But he takes a look at this office and it's, you know. It's it's old school. It's of a different time. And yes. so Packard is saying, you know, like, I, you need to run your business better. But I'll see what I can do. And yeah. from the minute this guy comes into the room, there's one thing that you know in the audience. Do not trust this man. No. No. His nose looks like he's been in a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. Okay, and at this point, Mr. Jordan has really bad indigestion, and so he has to go home. It's just something he ate. He's probably eating, you know, all them processed foods. But the old man comes, the old older clerk comes in, and he says, whatever you do, do not trust that man. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mr. Jordan says, well, I hope we're both wrong. Yeah. So he knows not to trust him, but. It's his only option right now. It's, it's it. And he almost collapses. Mm -hmm. At which point he hears that his wife is on the phone. And she is so upset because this dinner party is the end all and be all of her entire life. And she is shy, one couple and one man, because you had to have an even number of men and women at a, at a proper dinner party. Because she, yeah, she's trying to impress people. So he says, well, why don't you invite Packard and his wife? And she says, oh, he smells of Oklahoma. <laughs> at this point, I guess we are at home because uh, Millicent's cousin comes in. Millicent's cousin is quite older than she. It reminded me of like Ricky Ricardo and Lucy Ricardo and then the Mertzes. Yeah. Because was she was like weird, a though. Ethel Mertz and the husband was like a Fred Mertz. But she didn't do anything. She just stood next to Melissa. Like she never. Did she do anything? Did she no. like bake anything? No. She just kind of stood there. It just seemed like she was just there to do something. And she wanted she wanted an invitation to this dinner. And, and Millicent's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's not going to happen. You're not far enough up the social ladder to come to this dinner well uh at this point millicent is calling jean harlow because she has to invite the packards for dinner yeah because she doesn't want to but she again she needs a couple exactly and her husband has asked for this to happen mm -hmm. and so jean harlow is in bed with all the satin around her and she says gee that sounds swell dinner at eight yeah and she has a maid named Tina. <laughs> Tina, 
probably might have been a sex worker who got a better job as a maid, but she doesn't really care about wow, her job. Wow, what a, what a backstory. Well, it didn't, I mean, it, did, it didn't seem like she came up through the, through the ranks of maidness. Well, no, I just thought she, all of the, like, maids looked very Eastern European. Like, they had the dark hair. The, you know what I mean? I do. But she was, she was like a bubblegum smacking. Yeah. Like, she, she didn't was, come from an agency is yeah, what I'm saying. Tina was not refined. Tina. Ah, well said. I feel like Tina probably, if, if you, like, had to conduct a search, she probably had numerous blades on her. Yes. 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 And you would have to do a thorough search. Yeah. Like, she's, Tina was, yeah. if you like, I would pick Tina to back me up in a fight. Yeah. Like, Tina's on my team. But, but, um, Kitty Packard, Jean Harlow, was really rude to her. So rude to her. So rude to her. Well, at this point, Tina tells Kitty that Dr. Talbot is coming today. And she is eating like three boxes of chocolates. No, but she, no, ma, no. She's being utterly annoying is what she's doing because she's not eating the chocolates. She's picking up the chocolates. She committed to one. She bites it. She doesn't like it. She just drops it down and goes on. It's, it's such gluttony. Yeah. Anyway. So Mr. Packard comes home and he goes in and goes, you in bed again? And she goes in this, in this baby voice. I don't feel good. Oh, it was, <laughs> man. I, I see why Jean Harlow's a star, but when she went into the baby voice. I know. Oh, man. Greats on every nerve yeah, you've I, ever had. I wanted to know body. who thought that was sexy. No. Uh, because that's really child pornness that's sick. Oh, yeah. So he says, you, you ought to get up. I mean, these two are not, they they are not a loving couple. Yeah, and we just passed. So that was the point where the, um, uh, what is he, like the butler guy takes the guy's coat, Packard's coat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I was writing something hallway. and didn't mm -hmm. see it. That's how fast I'm telling you, you blink and you miss it. They yeah. don't exist in this world. So she is saying, well, Dr. Talbert says I'm an introvert and you're an extrovert. And then they have a big argument. Yes. And she says, well, um, Mr. Oliver Jordan has invited us for dinner. And he goes, I don't want to go to dinner with Mr. Oliver Jordan. I don't care. And she says something about um, you're. Um. You pull a dirty deal and you ruin my social chances. So obviously, Mr. Packard has already done some dirty stuff. Well, yeah, that's, he pulled those dirty deals. That's why you can be laying in bed taking your pick of chocolates. Exactly. Then she uses even worse baby talk. But Lord and Lady Fairclip oh. are coming to dinner and I want to go to dinner. <laughs> that's and what he she sounds like, too. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine, imagine worse, though. I know. What? And he goes, 
Lord and Lady Ferncliff? Well, sure, we'll go if Lord and Lady Ferncliff are going because he's been trying to meet with them for a long time because he they're the richest people in England. He has some money to swindle off of them. Well, yeah, and the whole time he's he's shaving because he has to leave because he's going to New York, and not New York, he's going down to D.C., because he to meet the president, right? He's meeting the president, right? Yes. Yeah, the president about a cabinet position. Who was the president at the time? 1933. Well, you keep going and I'll look it up. Okay. Sure well, somebody. Dumb. He says, okay, we'll go. And then he starts talking about he's buying up all the Jordan stock and he's using dummy corporations so Jordan won't know who it is. So he's shaving and she's gussying herself up for Dr. Talbot. So he then they start arguing again. And she says, didn't I tell you don't talk to me when I'm putting on my lashes? And he says, didn't I ever tell you don't talk to me when I'm shaving? These two don't have a good relationship. All right. I have I have um, the, the news. So if it's uh, after March 4th. 4th 1933 it was franklin d roosevelt i thought it would be roosevelt yeah but then after that you know what though let's think about this it, this this movie is based on a play okay yeah we can just say it's a it's got to be like a fake president in this world but if we want to we'll say like oh it's based on a play and yeah we could research when the play came out, but no, we're not going to. And we're just going to say that it was probably Herbert Hoover. That's who Because Franklin D. Roosevelt would not have, would not entertain a meeting with this man. That's what I thought. And then I was going Herbert Hoover. Yeah, that makes sense. But you know what? FDR, FDR had a lot of cards up his sleeve, so maybe, maybe it was one of these, let me see what this schmuck's all about. Size him up. Okay. He's a shrewd man, that FDR. FDR was a shrewd man. Okay. Well, at this point, her husband has left. She's back in bed, all powdered and fluffed. And Dr. Talbot comes in, and the maid knows to close the double doors to the bedroom. Now, this is a great scene, because when it, when he Talbot comes in, he's very, like, okay. very It's very proper. Very prim and proper doctor-patient relationship. He's coming in. He's like, what seems to be the problem? He goes in. He sits down. She's like, well, doctor, I seem to be having this. And then you see Tina slowly closing the door. And as soon as the door is closed, they just drop all pretense. And she's like, why aren't you coming around here? Well, uh, yeah. So obviously. Um, You never come and see me unless I send for you. Yeah. So they've been having an affair. And they kiss. Okay, now we're back in the kitchen of Millicent. And there is a lion aspect. So it's just jello, right? It's a gelatin. Um, I I ate aspect once. My aunt made it once. And it's like, mm, it's a gelatin that it's probably like a tomato-based aspect. What? A tomato-based jello? Yeah, but it wasn't jello. It wasn't a sweet thing. It was like uh, like a, an appetizer, and you'd spread it on crackers or something. It was like a and preservative? It was, 
A what? A preservative? No, 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 no. Like a preserve? Aspic was the name of this thing. Um, you can go ahead and look at look up what is aspic, but it's in it's been molded into the mold of a lion because the fern I want to call them fern gullies the the fern Lord oh, and Lady man. are um, are you know British and and lions are a symbol of British royalty or whatever. Oh my gosh! Okay, oh. tell. Go ahead. A savory jelly made with meat stock set in a mold and used to contain pieces of meat, seafood, or eggs. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, you, I don't, if you ever had a canned ham and, and then there's the gelatin that has been around it to preserve it and you eat that, it's salty and like it's supposed to have like a broth type taste it's supposed to be very up up whoosh whoosh fushy whooshy yeah quite uh baby finger sticking out wow so yeah and it jiggles like uh, it's just ugly looking and uh a telegram comes and a man that the extra man has canceled and so somebody says, well, why don't you get that actor guy to come and be Carlotta's, you know, man per woman? Okay. I, at this point, I wrote, is Millicent the good witch, Glinda the good witch? Because she was doing the total Glinda good witch voice. Ah. And yes, Billy Burke was Glinda, Glinda the, the good, good witch. witch. Yes. And she was, oh, 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 my darling. <laughs> so they've decided to invite Mr. Larry Renault, who is this actor. Wait, Remember when. Ma, so I, this confused me. How did they know who Larry Renault was? Like, how did they get the idea to invite him? Somebody said that they thought he was in town. Oh, because they needed they needed somebody to pair, and they said, "Oh, we need an actor." Does anybody know an actor? That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got and, it. Oh, well, Larry Renault is in town. This would be like. <sighs> okay, remember that movie we did with Sir Lawrence Olivier? We did a movie with Lawrence Olivier. And he was the washed-up actor. We did a movie with Lawrence Olivier, and he was a washed-up actor? Are you talking about Peter O'Toole? Peter O'Toole, remember? Yes, my favorite year. My favorite year? Yes. And he was totally washed up, but there were people who remembered him from his past and how great he had been? Yeah, I, uh, let's just say, and this could be a hot take, but I'm going to put it out there, Johnny Depp today. Yeah, only I mean, Johnny Depp is still younger, but yeah. Is the, yeah. Johnny Depp is like sneaky old. Yeah, and yeah, okay. Like even Johnny Depp in 10 more years. When when nothing, I mean, they'll still do another uh Pirates of the Caribbean to pull him out, but I mean, there was nobody taking taking his calls at all. Ah, yes. I know yeah. what you mean. Um, so, 
<laughs> they said, because, you know, Mr. Renault is free, white, and 45. <laughs> so, yeah, that's about Johnny, uh, Johnny Depp's probably older than that. And so uh, Glinda the Good Witch invites him to dinner. Well, Paula comes out, and she, it, it, you see, it, we're at, at Mr. Renault's hotel room at the Hotel Versailles. And he is accepting this dinner invitation because, truth be told, he doesn't have any money, so it's a free meal. Mm-hmm. And who walks out from the bedroom? <gasps> Paula, the daughter of Glinda the Good Witch Millicent. Mm-hmm. This is why she couldn't go shopping for her fancy shit. Because she is in love with this old washed-up dude. <sighs> Oy vey. And she persuades him to go. Yeah, she's like, oh, won't it be great to be? And I'm just like, man, no. <laughs> no, this is not going to go over well. Glinda the Good Witch is going to turn into that bad witch soon. Okay, and then he's talking about how he's going to be in this play. That's why we assumed it was New York. This new play is coming out. He's going to be in the play, and she's asking if she's going to be jealous because he's going to be making love to someone else on stage and not making love to her. She's supposed to be, what, 19? She is 19, and he's, I think he's. he starts to say that he's 47, but then yes. he says, oh, I'm about to turn 40. Yes, yes, So exactly. either way, even if you're going to say, I mean, really, he's 47, but even if, okay, he's 40, she's 19. Yeah. You're a creep. She looks way older than 19, but... She's a 1933 19. So, of course, you know, in depression years, she looks like she's pushing 40. But that's, you know, everybody knows who's read about the depression that it aged you. Okay, so she goes, I just hope the play flops. And then something is mentioned about this one small scene where there's a beachcomber. there's a beachcomber. But I don't know. I forgot that. I forgot to look that up again. Yeah. And so at this point, the bellhop arrives and he brings liquor. Oh, because this because of me like, oh, what's his face? Because this is John Barrymore. I forgot his Larry. Is that his name? Oh, Larry. Larry Renault. Oh, Larry Renault. So he's he's um, he's sober. He's uh, he's uh, firing on all cylinders here. But he walks around the stuff and he tries to pour a bottle and it's empty. And the bellboy comes in. And uh, the bellboy, and he says, where's my change? And he goes, I had to go to a different place and it was more money. You don't get any change. So uh, he cares about his change. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, he's pouring liquor when she comes back out of the bedroom. Scene of sin. (laughs) And she looks disappointed because she just wants him to be at his best when he meets her parents. And what time is it? I mean, I'm not one to be beholden to time when it comes to when are you going to drink? Because it's five o'clock somewhere. Exactly. I watch international soccer. And if you watch international soccer, you're going to have to have a, a, a a brew, a beer. And sometimes those games, they start at 6 a.m. And I'm not going to watch the World Cup of Germany playing at 6 a.m. and not have a beer. So, to each his own. Judge if you must. Yes. Um, yeah, ye be judge yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, he goes, I'll do as I please. And then he gets kind of ugly after one drink. 
Oh, so and she goes, you know, Ernest gets back this evening. And she goes, less than a month ago, I thought I loved him. And I know he's perfect for me, but I'm sick of hiding my love for you. And he goes, you know, I'm still married. You're 19 and I'm 47, almost turning 40. <laughs> and he goes, I'm not through yet. So, see, he's had one drink and he's also into the egotistical shit. Um, yeah, because he's not cutting that with anything. He's not mixing it. Whatever that man is drinking, he is pouring fully into a cup and downing it. Not even any ice. Yeah, just straight. Not even any ice. He, why is he even pouring it at this point was my yeah, question. Yeah, just go straight just from go the straight bottle. Just go straight from the bottle, buddy. And she goes, well, what does that have to do with our love? And he says, I love you as much as I can love any woman at this point. You know, I've had three wives. It, it's not real love. So at which point he tells her about his three wives. At which point she needs to be going... <laughs> I love you as much as I possibly can, but it's not real love. Uh, Get out of there. Yeah, she needs to be like, hi. I feel but like I can do better. <laughs> she's got the rose colored. And he even says you can do better. Yeah. He, you know, you might want to reconsider Ernest because, you know, I think he's got more that's gonna to offer you because i got nothing i got i got i got this sad story of one of my wives didn't want to one of them she liked to drink and just drove off a cliff so that's the picture that's right there <laughs> and she's like oh do you still love her no he's only an alcoholic and has a picture of the woman says he can only love you as much as he can love a woman Man, the flags, the red flags that are flying on this guy. And then he goes, she died and, and these other women just swarmed me. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. And, uh, they were every age, kind and description. I wanted him to say every age, color and description, oh, but he no. didn't. No. And um, he says, you're young and fresh and I'm burned out. And she goes, I'm going to tell mother and dad in earnest tonight. She's just real. Dumb. Okay. At this point, an agent. The agent, Mr. Kane, knocks on the door. Paula leaves. The agent comes in. At this point, Carlotta's getting off of the elevator with, like, a, you don't know which are dogs on a leash and which are actually, uh, I'll bet they were minks instead of foxes. Oh, Hanging off of coat. her coat. Yeah. And she sees Paula coming out of Larry Renault's room. And she knows because she has been around this world She's enough been around to a know. few times and her facial expression says it all. She didn't mm -hmm. need a line there. She was just, she did the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the agent is saying, you know, you need to get out and work out. Uh, yeah, you need to work out every in, day. He's, he's like, uh, you got, because the guy opens the door and Larry's got what is that, Ma? Like a smoking jacket thing? I call it a smoking jacket. Yeah, it's the equivalent. It's what tracksuits were before. It's like the smoking okay, jacket. Okay, so it's it's a it, so you take off your dress jacket, mm -hmm. and you have a velvet jacket, like it's a mini bathrobe with satin lapels, and it has the little belt that ties, and it hits it, it hits at your thigh at your hips. Now, is, and, is this considered comfy clothes attire? Yes. 
Wow. And it's it, the uh, pocket is embroidered with his um, initials. What's that called? Uh, you know, like the big, your, your last name letter is the big one. And then uh, your first and middle name are on each side. Yeah, you got a lot of those. So my daddy used to have a smoking jacket, but it wasn't embroidered with his initials. Anyway, he would get real silly when he put it on. <laughs> but um, so he has that on and the agent sees that he's drinking and he's going, you know, that's not going to help you out. You need to be out there working out, getting yourself back in shape. Um, we're going to fix you up. And so he's asking about the play and he's going, there's no contract signed. And, um, the, and so the agent is trying to be as diplomatic as possible to tell him they're not going with him. Yeah. Well, he's being an agent and agents know how like Basically, actors are babies, and so he's got to handle them with, with yeah. The, yeah. The he's doing everything except changing his diaper. Mm-hmm. And um, evidently, the pr- uh, producer who was going to do the play with him has pulled out, and there's a new producer, Joe Stengel. And <coughs> actually, they're going to go with a different actor. Cecil Bellamy is going to play your part. But wait, wait, wait. It's not all it's not all over because there's still the part of the beachcomber. The beachcomber? You're telling me that the lead in this play is being given to Cecil Bellamy, that little mealy mouse weasel, when you could have a me? I was born to be in that role, and then you want me to be the beachcomber? That's one scene. And the agent goes, but you can totally make it your own. And when you own that scene, that people are going to be coming back to you for for bigger and better stuff, things. You know, you haven't been seen in a while. So this is a really great opportunity. The agent was really pitching this this one scene of the beachcomber of really being that um, that a scene stealer part. Like exactly. the whole, like the whole play hinged on it. He was gonna come out. He was gonna do it. The crowd was gonna go wild. He would go off and leave. It was gonna be the easiest money he ever made. Cause then when they had the Cecil Bellamy comes out to take his current call, everybody's not gonna. Everybody's gonna be le- yelling for Larry Renault, the beachcomber, because he came in and knocked it out of the ballpark in one scene, and he's back. Think of Brad Pitt in Thelma and Louise. That's what the agent was saying this part would do for him. Basically. Can we have a moment? I mean, who who didn't watch that and say, who is this? I was eight years old. (laughs) And I was like, who is this guy? You're not supposed to tell people you're watching Thelma and Louise at eight years old. (laughs) Bad parenting. parenting. What are you talking about? Just because I had it on rewind. Let's watch that scene again. Okay, well, Larry throws the agent out. Just get out. Just get out. Just get out. So he walks to the door and he goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because he's got nothing else. He's got nothing. I have nothing. Nothing. So he goes, what makes you think that the the main part isn't right for me? And the agent goes, well, they're going to get tired of him. He's in the whole play. They're going to get tired of him. But you're going to be great. You're going to be great. So he goes, well, you know, maybe I'll do the play. Don't tell him I'm interested in it. You know, act like it's going to be a favor for me to do for them. And 
he leaves and uh, Larry pulls out seven. He's got seven cents in his pocket. He doesn't even have money to take a taxi to dinner. Okay. Well, the bellhop comes, it comes in for the tray that had breakfast on it. And he orders a coffee and a caviar sandwich. Oh, yeah. I was like... Hmm. Uh, but I, yeah. I don't know because I don't I have I've had caviar in my life. I just haven't had it enough and recently to to be able to just pull up that taste and be like, ah, that's what caviar is. It's like a black paste, right? Salty. It's very salty and it's black. It depends on what kind you have. But but it's little bubbles that, that burst it when you bite. You know, that's the fish eggs. I got to say, though, when I heard the word sandwich, I instantly thought of two slices of bread and I was all in. <laughs> I was sold. I don't I care. Like, that sounds delicious. Bring it. So the bellhop goes, well, are you going to sign for that? Because I'm told I can't bring you any more that you signed for. You have to actually pay for it. This okay. guy has been, how long has this guy just been living life not paying anything, only paying uh, for his booze? So he goes, oh, I'll call the manager about this. I'll just, so he picks up the phone to call the manager and the bellhop leaves and he goes, yeah, nothing, never mind. He hangs up the phone. Then he goes, wait a minute, send Eddie out because Eddie's the one who goes out and gets him his liquor. Mm-hmm. At which point he takes off his cufflinks. He detaches his belt buckle from his belt. He takes a picture out of a silver picture frame. Well, not just any picture. The picture of the woman who drove herself off the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because Eddie's going to have to pawn that stuff to get the money to be able to buy the liquor. That's, that's how bad we are. Well, we're back at Dr. Talbot, who is in his office. His doctor's office looks like a hotel room. It was. It had extremely high ceilings to be a doctor's office. So weird. And the nurse there says there are six people waiting to see him. And also Mr. Jordan is there. And ding-a-ling-a-ling. Oh, that's Ms. Packard on the line. So he talks to Kitty. And, no, I can't come over. He's totally blowing her off. And he's saying, of course, there's nobody else in my life. At which point a door slams and there's a woman behind him. Oh, hello, Lucy, my wife. Mm-hmm. But before she slammed the door, she just stood there and listened. So she knew. She knew everything. And as soon as he hears the door slam, he starts speaking professionally to her. Um, so... Remember? Oh, and then the wife goes, you know, don't don't try to pretend. I know all about it. Remember how nicely I behaved the other 16 times you've been having an affair? It's like, um, what are they, Catholic? Am I right? <laughs> she says, I can't let it tear me to pieces anymore. Like the first time it did. And You're the time after that. And then the time after that. And then yeah. the time after that. Your two people, one is magnificent and one is shoddy, which was a really nice term for her to use. And um, I said it's an odd doctor's office. <laughs> and he's going, why did you stay with me? Because I love you. I know there are glamorous women in your life, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it'll always just be you and I. 
except for the other women in the bed. Yeah. But other than that, other than it's that, just you and I. Until I see someone who's really hot. Other than that. Other than that. And uh, we're going to dinner at the Oliver's tonight. Okay. Well, uh, he... Oh, well, Mr. Jordan is there. So he goes in to check him and he listens to his chest and he has to have smelling salts. And Mr. Jordan is very lethargic. And the doctor looks at the nurse and the nurse gives the uh-oh look. So and I, it's not and I good. thought, this is 1933. How, this guy must be super sick if they can just, they just listen. What is that, a stethoscope? Is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. If he just listened to his chest with a stethoscope and they're just like, oh. I, I w- is this movie magic or is this real 1933 doctoring because I'm, we'll get to something later in this but i'm just like i don't what is mess medicine in 1933 not i mean right well he leaves because he's feeling better because he had the smelling salts but he leaves saying you're not fooling me doctor and don't you and think then- that he the they probably gave him some sort of crazy pill and just in passing. Like they, or an they, injection. Yeah, some sort of like cocaine or yeah, meth they basically much. gave him. And so he's like, I feel fantastic now. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, exactly. Like when I had my nose done. Yeah, I felt great till I didn't. Okay, so the doctor looks very pensive and he's saying it's his coronary artery. It's a thrombosis. He has months... Days, hours to live. Yeah, we, uh, we don't know. Damn, doctor. Could you, <laughs> I mean, everyone you has, a little bit? Everyone has years, months, days, hours to live. <laughs> At which point, the doctor lights a cigarette and says, "Send in my next patient." That this is my point, ma. Nineteen thirty-three doctors. Really, this guy really knows that he's got this thrombosis thing. From just listening in a 1933 We couldn't take too much time. I mean, we're not going to the old x-ray machine and everything. Did they have an x-ray machine in 1933? Yeah, but everybody died from Did it. Did they even because... know to wash their hands? No. In 1933, this the is what I'm saying. The dude is lighting up a cigarette. This is what I'm saying. Well, the next scene is the kitchen of the Jordan household where the cook has dropped the aspic on the floor. Well, but we didn't see the aspic on the floor, did no, we? No, we didn't. But she's saying it happened because... Well, wait a second. She comes in, the cook comes in, and her mouth is all swollen. And Maleficent says, what's wrong with your face? Because I was saying, what's wrong with your face, too? And she says, oh, it's just my, my, uh, my old tooth that's infected. Yeah, they know how her breath smells. So then I thought that it was going to be, all right, why don't you go to the dentist and get that thing taken care of? But no, she's... No, she's got a dinner party tonight with the fern gullies. So she's just powering through it with the fern gullies. (laughs) So she's like, I have some bad news. I dropped the aspect. And she doesn't say I dropped it. She said I had to drop it. You're right. (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. And I thought she had to drop it because the pain in her mouth. That's what I thought too, but that wasn't the reason. It wasn't the reason. Who got into the fight? 
the butler and the chauffeur were fighting over I think one of the one of the maids. The butler and the chauffeur were fighting over the main maid. And she was like, "What?" And she was like, "Yeah, I had to stop him." And then they're like, "Whoa, where's the who who did she ask for first? I don't I don't know which was which. I think I'm just assuming they might have been people of color. I don't think they were. <laughs> I don't think this family had anything to do with black people. I don't. I didn't say black, but I feel like they might have been another persuasion. Oh, are you talking 1933? So they were Italian because that was considered a color. Possibly. Yeah. So that yes, I do think that they. If I had to guess, they had brown to black hair. Yes, definitely. Dark because eyes. one of them was in jail and the other in the hospital because the one in jail used a knife on the one that's in the hospital. Right. <laughs> well, so that's a catastrophe. The aspect is now, well, go order some crab meat then. I mean, how common is crab meat? My God, we're going to have to deal with, do with crab meat. But hold on, Matt. So aspect I saw the purpose of it was when you would put meat in it, it would, the gelatin would create an airtight seal. So your cooked meat inside the aspect, it would last longer. Huh. I think, like so it the, was a preservative. Yeah, so that was kind of the, the point of it. You would put cooked meat in it and then you could like be chomping on it for a bit. But it was like, it was like the fat of the meat that made the aspect. So you're oh, it's gelatin. Yeah, that's what gelatin is. Yeah. 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 Okay. Really salty, too. Okay, I'll have to look up tomato aspect later because my aunt made us eat that. Yeah, I, there are some videos on YouTube. There's a, you, you know, kids, tomato aspect. There's a, it's on there. It's represented. Yeah, we're, we're glad that that, that phase has, has moved on. I am not requesting that you make that ever i don't believe we'll be having it at the wedding we better not be i will <laughs> i will stab someone <laughs> and she will be in jail and whoever is stabbed will be in the hospital but we will move on it will be dinner at carlotta arrives early to see oliver and she asks for <laughs> whiskey and soda so the maid brings out a tray, of course, because you had to have the silver tray. And she pours the whiskey, and Carlotta keeps up on her finger. Yeah, keep going up. And oh, um, at which oh, she takes her shoes off here and rubs her feet. Mm -hmm. And then um, she's saying to Millicent, "Oh, thank God, I don't have one of those dreadful dinners tonight." <laughs> and and Millicent goes. You're dining here, and she goes, "Oh yeah, yay, yay!" Oh, yeah, and um, so the maid starts to put the soda in it. She goes, "Don't spoil it with that." So she drinks it straight. Uh, all in one, I mean, she just—it's like five shots in there, and she just downs it. Well, that's how everyone well, has in this be, movie drinks. There has to be a new butler tonight because the butler is either in the hospital or <laughs> the jail. So she's freaking out that she has a new butler tonight. Well, Mr. Jordan comes in. Remember, he right from the, the doctor's office? Mm -hmm. Well, he, remember, he's point, got shot up. He's feeling good. Yeah, yeah, he got hit up. 
At which point Carlotta says, I have to tell you, I want I wanted to come and tell you before you heard it anywhere else, I had to sell my Jordan stock. And he's like, oh my God, I need another hit. <sighs> Who'd you sell it to? James K. Baldrige. Baldrige. So Oliver gets on the phone and he calls him Mr. Kingsbury. And Mr. Kingsbury also sold his stock to a James K. Baldrige. We're in the midst of a takeover, everyone. It, who is this Baldrige? At which point the phone rings and Lord Ferngully, secretary, is there and is explaining to Millicent, yeah, they're, they're not coming for dinner because they're on their way to Florida. Yeah, they, they saw what Florida looked like and they said, guys... Peace out. And uh, we're talking about Florida, so I'm just saying. Yeah, but, and she's, like, but she, Florida's beaches. I mean, yeah, there's the humidity and stuff, but you're on the you're on the East Coast, so you're just thinking it's New York, but then you see the Florida coast. This is like the thirty three. I'm sure yeah. they were beautiful back then. Well, Millicent doesn't take the news well. And she starts yelling at the secretary, but I'm giving a dinner in their honor. Because it does look secretary. bad on her, like, as far as society. Like, she did get, uh, what's it called? You know. Shafted. Yeah. Screwed. Yeah. I I almost went bad on, but then I. Well, you might as well. Myself. It should be three episodes in a row. I mean. <laughs> no, what did I do bad last week? Last week there it, there was something nine to five. Oh, I'm sure there was something. I know what there was in the hustler. Yeah, the hustler. Oh, I believe it was you last week. <laughs> it was probably me. So I'm your daughter. What I do reflects on you. That's what you <laughs> said last week. Okay, so Paula comes in and she goes, "Mother, I have to talk to you." And she's like, first of all, I need to hire a butler, and second of all, the Ferngullies aren't coming, Ferncliffs." And she goes, I have to talk to you about Ernest. And she didn't have time for that shit. Ain't nobody got time for this. At which point, Oliver is kind of standing up against a wall saying, honey, can I skip the theater tonight? Because it's not just dinner at their house, but then they're going to the theater afterwards. Yeah, and then they're going to someplace after the theater. Yeah, of course. So... At which point, I started doing the math in my head. I said, well, if dinner's at 8, what time is the theater show? Yeah. and then, There's not a late show. And then the theater show, you're thinking, all right, so dinner at 8, what? If we're being conservative, is it an hour for dinner? So then they're done at 9? So does the show start at 9.30? Or does the show start at 10? Which then I'm thinking, how long is the theater? Isn't that like two I'm hours? And then I'm thinking, is it a burlesque show? Because I was just thinking, this seems very late. You're right. I didn't do all that math because, you know, it's not my forte. I did because as soon as I hear 8 p.m., I think, well, that's an hour until bedtime. So. <laughs> so Oliver's saying, can I just skip the theater tonight? And she's going, first of all, there's no aspect. Second of all, Ricky's in jail. Third of all, somebody else is in the hospital dying. Fourth of all, the Fernleys have gone to Florida. And he's going, never mind, I'll do whatever, whatever. It's fine, I'm, I'm only dying here, but it's 1933, and so we don't know how I'm dying. Exactly. So the Packards are at their place getting ready, and they are doing nothing but arguing. It's, 
Oh, they are so ugly to each other. They are. In that Oklahoma way. In that, and, in that and, new money way. And Mr. Packard is saying, well, well Oliver Jordan's going to need a rowboat. And he's never going to know who did it to him. And he's saying to Gene Harlow, you're going to be a cabinet member's wife. And she says, I'm not going down there to that smelly swamp place. D.C. ain't happening. And she goes, who do you think you're talking to? That first wife of yours? No wonder she died. Whoa. Uh, and then she says, what do you think I'm doing while you're away at work? What? There's another man? So he calls in the maid, Tina, to go, who has been coming around to this apartment? And she's like, oh, uh, I don't know. But there's nobody, just the doctor. He goes, no other than the doctor. <laughs> He goes, I'll guy. divorce you. I'll track him down and I'll kill him. And she goes, well, I know all about your dirty business deals. Um, so then they go, I've got to go to dinner tonight and then I'm leaving you. He goes, and she goes, no, you're going to leave Jordan and his money right where it is or I'll squeal. I'm going to be a lady if it kills me. So the maid comes in and they have they have thrown stuff around and she had a bracelet, a diamond bracelet, and she had thrown it down because they were arguing. So the, she says, pick up that pick up that bracelet. And so she picks it up and she puts it on herself, the maid. Mm -hmm. She's going, you know, you have so many bracelets, you wouldn't miss one. Maybe maybe you'll just give me this one. So it was obvious. Tina's going, you know what? I'm going to blackmail all of you if you don't give me this bracelet. Mm -hmm. So everybody's blackmailing everybody. Well, it's 8 o'clock. Larry is in his top hat and tails in his hotel room. At which point the agent comes in and introduces him to Joe Stengel, the new producer of the play. Mm-hmm. And the agent walks and hides the bodily sees. And um, this agent says, I want to know if you'll be the beachcomber in the part. And the agent says, oh, he's been dying to do this part. Well, that pisses him off because he, he, he wanted them to plead for him to be the beachcomber. And he was going to do it just because he's a good guy. And he goes, you know, I. I should be starring in that play. Um, I'm a name. Oh, I used also, to get. He's drunk. Yeah, he's totally drunk. I used to get eight thousand dollars a week. I was gonna get up to ten thousand dollars a week. I'm doing you a favor. And he goes, "I'm a drunk, and I know it." Um, but and you know what? I wouldn't be in your stinky play if no matter what. So Stengel just leaves. And the He's agent like, goes, you blew it. In my life, I've never. Um, and then uh, Larry Renault starts telling the, the agent that he was a double-dealing swindler. And you've been taking my money and working with the managers. 
And the agent goes, at this point, you owe me $500. I felt sorry for you. You're done. You never were an actor. You had the looks, but they're gone now. Look in the mirror. You've thrown it all away. And he leaves. And Larry Renault looks in the mirror and he falls down. Well, the bellhop comes back and he goes, nobody would take this junk. He's going, that was a sterling silver frame. I'm sick and I need it. I need it. Listen, you go buy it for me and I'll pay you back tomorrow. And the bellhop's going, yeah, right. At this point, the manager of the hotel comes in. And he goes, uh, Mr. Renault, we have a situation. We have these people who come and they stay in this room all the time. And they're coming in tomorrow evening. So you're going to have to vacate the room. And he's going, well, what room are you putting me in? And he goes, unfortunately, <laughs> every room is full. We can't help you out. But, you know, let's say you're out by noon tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, are we good? <clears throat> he did it so diplomatically. Yeah. Though. So then uh, Larry Renault is eyeing the fireplace. Uh, and then I, I knew what he was going to do. Yeah. Well, tell the public, guy, guy. So he takes off his jacket. He stuffs it under the front door. He takes, I don't know, what was this? Some sort of like weird mattress thing or something. And he like shoves it under the door. Basically, it's, it's just John Barrymore. Like, hey, guys, I'm of the family Barrymore settle in let me act for you he does that blocks that up and he goes he takes the picture that's of his wife he opens the the window he looks at it he tears it up he throws the pieces out closes the window then dramatically and i kind of i was laughing because this guy such an actor he's staging it he he gets the chair moves it over angles it just so he fiddles with the lamp so it's gonna hit him just so the lighting will be just right yeah he goes and he uh he he turns on the gas and he sits down and he i was disappointed he didn't put the top hat on i'll be honest (laughs) as he was sitting he put his smoking jacket on though yeah, and he just kind of sits. He does like a weird thing with his hands. It's almost like they're, I I don't. I just thought his hand positioning was odd. And uh, yeah, he starts he to breathe deeply. Starts to breathe deeply, and we're like, all right, well, there you go. That's it for him. And then I thought, why? What what was the deal with this character? Why were we spent? Why do we spend so much time with him? Like, why? I don't. Huh? That's true. I was just like, what was his point? So that's how that scene ends. That's it. That's how it ends. And that's literally because then I was like, oh, well, maybe there's something else to it or something. No. 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 That was it. That was it. So then we're back at the dinner party and the cousins are there. Fred and, and Ethel Mertz. Right, because they needed to replace the fern gullies. Exactly. <laughs> and Millicent is telling the musicians not to play so loudly because people will be talking. Yeah, she has Packard- real musicians. And I think they were all white. The Packards arrive and Mr. Packard finds out the fern cliffs aren't coming. Yeah. Dr. Talbot and his wife arrive. 
Carlotta arrives with her dog. Yeah. Well, Ernest and Paula are in the study talking. And Carlotta goes, ah, I'm just going to go barge in. I'm just going to go barge in. And she does. And Carlotta starts to talk to Paula. And she's going, Paula, why haven't you come to see me? You know where I'm staying, right? So she's leading up to the fact that she mm -hmm. saw Paula coming out of dude's room. And, oh, by the way, dude killed himself in the... Uh, the ambulance arrived right before I came. So, you know, dry your tears. I'll fix your makeup. Let's go out there and, you know, stick with the guy that you should have been with all along. That's exactly how she says it, too. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, he killed himself. The guy that you're saying that you love, he killed himself. How do I know? Because as I was coming here, I saw them dealing with the body um yeah whatever and you got this guy look at him i mean ernest was pretty good looking ernest was good looking seemed like a decent dude he's got he, like he's not poor it seems like he comes from money and stuff seemed like she's gonna need it he wasn't a swindler of, of some sort so she, you know she's just basically like lays it all out and then it's like come on and she's like dry your tears go to that guy and uh let's go eat date yeah. time for dinner Consider your father. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need this extra stress right now. Well, then we go out where everyone else is. And I think one of the maids comes up to Millicent and says, you need to come upstairs. Mr. Jordan isn't feeling well. And Dr. Talbert says, oh, I'll come up too. Well, Oliver's laying on the bed. <laughs> and Carlotta's back with Paula saying, don't spoil dinner. Don't ever let Ernest know anything about this. Yeah, and she's like, it's in the she, past. Everyone has a past. Yeah, I've got many pasts. And Paula goes, I'll never love another. Then we're back upstairs. Oliver gets up to tie his tie and put his jacket on. I think Mr. Talbot had some more of that cocaine. Yeah, give him some more of the meth. But then uh, the doctor is talking to Millicent and she's crying and he hears that. So the doctor has told her the truth. But the doctor yeah. hasn't told Oliver. But Oliver said he knew. But, uh, but <laughs> he just knows that that, that was the thing. I was like, oh, I know. What do you know? You didn't ask. The doctor didn't tell you. You just know it's not good. But there's yeah. so many different, like, not good things. There's there's an issue, but there's so many issues that could be in that chest and area. It's just like, I know it's not good. But you don't well, know what it is. And he never goes, all right, doctor, what is it? No. Well, the wife is saying that she's turned into a silly, useless wife in that Glinda voice, which she has. And he says, well, I got news for you because it's worse than this. The Jordan line's gone. We're broke. Um, and she says, everybody's drunk. I don't know what that meant. Well, it's because everybody's broke. It's 1933. Like, broke, no not it. drunk. <laughs> Everyone. Imagine me writing drunk instead of broke. Mm -hmm. And she says, we'll economize. Mm -hmm. And she cancels her hairdresser appointment. And she cancels the table at the place after the theater. Yes, she does. And Oliver and Millicent come downstairs. Uh, they announce it's time for dinner. Uh, at which point, Kitty, Jean Harlow, tells Dan to tell Oliver 
that he is the one who has the money. He has bought the stock and they kick each other. And so Dan does. He um, he says, however, you know, I saved your your Jordan line for you. Yeah, I bought he up the stock. So I'm the savior here. Um, does he and say that he Oliver goes, up, well, I guess I need to look at you in a different way. Does he say that he bought up the stock or does he say that he he took care of the situation? He probably says he took care of yeah. the situation. I didn't think that he ever came right out and was like, yo, I was the guy that was going around buying up all the stock. No, it was like I, I saw this was happening and I fixed it for you. You're OK. Your Jordan line is is back intact. Mm hmm. Well, um, Carlotta and Kitty are, are walking into dinner together. And Kitty says to Carlotta, I was reading this book the other day, at which point Carlotta trips. She goes, you, well, wait a minute. You were reading a book? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a study book. And it said that machinery was going to take over um, every profession. And she looks Kitty up and down and goes, yeah, I don't think that's something you're ever going to have to worry about. Mm-hmm. The end. Boom. Bada bing. Dinner at eight. I did like how, although the women were typical of the era of needing to have men to be in society, um, I liked how Carlotta was looking out for Paula. Mm-hmm. I liked how Jean Harlow was looking out for herself. You know, yes. when dude said, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll divorce you. And she's going, well, wait a minute. I got some, I got some dirt on you. Mm -hmm. She was, um, she basically, because in that whole fight, they have this whole big fight and he's like a gas bag or something. And she's like an alley cat because they both came. She's kind of like, hey, you came up from the streets the same way that I came up from the streets. You know, you're doing your whole thing, your way in the business end. And I'm doing my whole thing to get out of the, the gutter my way so i'm formidable and um my trivia said that both of them had been in in a a moving picture together before and they didn't picture. like each other no they didn't and so it worked out perfectly because they were really good at being at each other's throats the whole time yeah but it turns out that this um what's his face what's his name this wallace berry not a great guy. Tell me more. Well, there's way more to this. So maybe I, you tell me if I was a little, if, it, if I was unfair in saying that he was not okay. a great guy. When he was 30, he married a 17-year-old Gloria Swanson. Ooh. Oh, really? Gloria Swanson married him? Because that face wouldn't have. Right. Ooh. And she says that he raped her <gasps> and then forced her to take what I'm guessing is like that time's equivalent of plan B so that she would lose the baby. Oh, my God. And then at 17. Yeah. And then they got like divorced a year later. Oh, um, he allegedly what there's a guy. I forget what his name was, but he was something. And he was beaten to death by three people. And one of the three people was Wallace Berry. That doesn't surprise me. 
Everyone said that this guy was difficult to work with, basically except for Mickey Rooney. He was the only one that was like, oh, yeah, he could be difficult to work with. But, you know, he was that was just how he was. He was just a scallywag, you know, you know, like when somebody is like the guy that's saying like, oh, yeah, Harvey Weinstein. He's just misunderstood. You know, that's just how he is. That's Harvey. It was like, that's Wallace. I didn't have any trouble with him. Yeah. So I didn't really then go. And then he he like said that he adopted a kid and then was like never heard from the kid again. There's just a there's a lot of there's a wealth of of like what the fuck was Wallace Berry up to Mm -hmm. or Beery? Um, Right. It was B-E-E-R-Y. Yeah. There, and also because that was the time when you know it was the studio so all the stuff that the studios because somebody went to him I forget what I guess it was MGM and they said man like Wallace Berry is a son of a bitch and the guy's like yeah but he's our son of a bitch so uh. the studio pretty much he Wallace Berry pretty probably kept the like the studio fixer employed oh Ray Donovan yeah um, Carlotta's dog in the movie is named Mussolini, <laughs> but after, and they filmed it that way, but then when they were doing the editing and stuff based on what was going on in Europe, they said, oh, maybe we should have his name be Mussolini. So they dubbed in Tarzan. And that's why when one of the characters says the dog's name and it does not sync up at all because his mouth is saying Mussolini, but it's right. Tarzan. Um, John Barrymore, pretty, pretty much what we saw in the, in this movie was, uh, John Barrymore being John Barrymore. He battled alcoholism since the age of 14. 14. Yeah. That's why I was like, oh, Drew Barrymore came by that, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it was part of their. The Barrymore's. Yeah. Um. This was a pre-code film. That's why they could mention such things as adultery. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Indeed. Because it wasn't just Gene Harlow. It was also the doctor talking about adultery. Mm-hmm. The screenplay writer, Frances Marion, she was the first writer to win two Academy Awards. Way to go, Francis. Mm-hmm. There are no exterior shots in Dinner at Eight. And when Marie Dressler, she she filmed this role right after having a serious surgery to remove cancer. And then... She took the role of Carlotta Vance. She was recuperating from serious cancer surgery... The cancer eventually took her life 1934, soon after the release of Dinner at Eight. Right. So what we're base, like we're seeing is a, a sick woman, right? Yeah. Which I'm sure that's what aged her a lot. Yeah. When she still, yeah, she still did a really good job, and she really enjoyed working with Jean Harlow. Mm-hmm. And when she died, she left $35,000 to her maid of 20 years and $15,000 to her maid's husband. 
and her instructions were to provide a place of comfort to black travelers. And they opened up the Coconut Grove nightclub and adjacent tourist cabins in Savannah, Georgia in 1936. And it was named after the Coconut Grove nightclub in Los Angeles. Well done. I was like, all right. All righty then. Um, Joan Crawford was among the actresses considered for the part of Paula Jordan. Mm-hmm. Clark Gable was among the actors considered for the part of Dr. Wayne Talbot. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I think that I think that that was all of my trivia. Um, Jean Harlow, AFI. Um, uh, list ranked her as number 22 on female stars of classic Hollywood and that dress that she wore at the end is called the Jean Harlow dress and it became a bit of a well fashion thing like everybody wanted the Jean Harlow dress not very many people can pull off pull off the Jean Harlow dress yeah you sort of need to be Unbeknownst to you, probably suffering from kidney failure to put it off, pull it off. Mm. Because not long, well, I guess like, what, four years after this movie, Jean Harlow died? And and there were some, some said it was because of what, what she had to go through to get her platinum blonde hair. She didn't wear wigs. That was, they did all kinds of chemicals on her hair to get it that platinum blonde Mm -hmm. so they felt like that caused her but she she had a lot of issues because when she was a kid she had scarlet fever and that's why well i was alluding to when i was saying it's 1933 and what all could they know because when so she got sick well this was 1933 she had suffered from scarlet fever at age 15 in 1926. And then in January 1937, she went to D.C. to take part of what was going to, in the future, be known as the March of Dimes organization, oh. the fundraiser. And when she was there, she got the flu. And then she was going to, to film her final film, Saratoga, co-starring Clark Gable, and that was going to start in March, but then production was delayed because she suffered from septicemia. Mm-hmm. Septicemia. Sep- yeah. Septis. And she had to be hospitalized after multiple wisdom teeth extractions. Mm. Also, though, like what this isn't saying is that I think that she drank a lot. Everybody did. Like, yeah. That's one thing. All of these actors, everyone in Hollywood drank a ton. So she already had like scarlet fever. She already had influenza. She had wisdom teeth. She was drinking a whole lot. Then the doctors said that she was just suffering from wisdom teeth. And then her, um, like, so then she's shooting in May of 1937 and she's still complaining of her illness. She had fatigue, nausea, water weight, and abdominal pain. And her doctor didn't think that it was that serious. He was like, ah, I think you're just, it's like the flu and stuff. And then he didn't know that the previous year she had been dealing with a severe sunburn and influenza. 
and her friend and co-star Myrna Loy, she noticed Harlow's gray pallor fatigue and weight gain. So she's still trying to like uh, keep it going, keep up, you know, working and stuff. And I think she, I don't know if at this point if she was married to William Powell or they were, they were like an on again, off again kind of thing. And he, he's like on May 30th, he checked on her and she hadn't improved. Um, and then, then another doctor that was like a colleague of the doctor looked and he was like, she's not suffering from an inflamed gallbladder. Like she, her kidneys have been failing and this is pretty much it. And then on June 6th, she couldn't see uh, William Powell's, like how many fingers he was holding up and stuff. And so like in June 6th, she was taken to the hospital and she went into a coma and she died of, I guess the death was given as cerebral edema, a complication Mm. of kidney failure. So there's there's always been these things about how um, it was her hair dye that did it and that her mom was a, a Christian scientist. So she had to kind like treatment and stuff. Yeah. So who really knows? She, I know that like she probably drank way too much and it was 19 it was in the 1930s. And what did people know about medicine and stuff? Really? Yeah. So, and she had had the, and isn't scarlet fever one of those things when if you have it when you're little, then there's like all these weird things that can come back later. That that seemed like it took out a whole lot of people. I, I don't know. <clears throat> like that was always a thing. Like, oh, then your, scarlet your brother fever. brother had scarlet fever. What? Yeah, it, it was when it was when like strep goes untreated because neither of you ever ran fevers, so yeah, it went into scarlet fever. And I said to the doctor, "Isn't that what made Mary blind on Little House yeah. on the Prairie?" Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that is. But what, but what see, as soon as the rash developed, then they knew what it was, and they got antibiotics. Well, yes, she wasn't. It doesn't seem like she was taking antibiotics and no, nobody like the only guy that kind of put his finger on it was the guy that came in at the very end and was like, guys, this is a kidney issue. Yeah. What the hell? The water weight, the gray pallor of her skin, the fatigue, mm. her body's not her body is not um, filtering out the chemicals. Her. These are all chemicals just fr- this freeloading. They, the chemicals are going crazy. Toxicity. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Yep, but hey, she came. She burned bright. There was a, a little girl named Norma Jean something whose mother or whoever it was that was in charge of her would always go to the movies and they loved Jean Harlow and... Boom. Who do we get? Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Who also had so many demons. But then, boom. Who do we get? Dolly Parton. (laughs) Well, that was dinner at eight. Yes. 
Well, for next week, I had talked with some people who are listeners, and they gave me some ideas, and I was really going to go with their recommendation Mm -hmm. until I looked at a calendar Ah. and saw that next Saturday, the day that we actually do our podcast, is September 1st. And we know what we already said September 1st is. September is the month of... Paul Newman. Paul Newman. So I looked at all the Paul Newman movies, many, and we've already done two. We've done Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Hello. Mm -hmm. The Hustler, Hello. So this time we're going to do a little bit more of a more contemporary in his repertoire. I think... The, I was wondering when we were talking about this, I said, I have a feeling that you were going to pick the movie that I was going to pick. I don't know if it's your movie or not. Does it but... take place in Boston? No. Oh. It does not take place in Boston. Oh, all right then. Huh. One of my favorite movies. I don't even know the year. Does it co-star one Bobby Redford? It co-stars one Bobby Redford. It is the first of their collaboration. (gasps) The first. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Well, I'll be doggone. Yes. So that's just, I already got goosebumps about it. That's going to be fun, guys. It's going to be fun. Um, Yes. We need some fun in our lives right now. And uh, two blue-eyed masters. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and one aforementioned a four actress. Catherine, Catherine Ross. Ross. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well played. Thank you so much. I hope that my, my peeps understand and hey, I needed to go, we you are, know, the month of September. We already had designated Paul Newman month. And how can that be a bad thing? It can't be. The answer to that is that it can't be. It cannot be. We've got two months that are spoken for. Yes, we do. September is Paul Newman Appreciation Month. And Thank February you. is Black History Month. Yes, it is. So... Listeners, next week, don't be mad. Your your turn is coming, I promise. But next week is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Ha! Yeehaw! Okay, listeners. <laughs> Yeehaw! Yeehaw!